Judges chapter 17 this morning, if you will. Judges chapter 17. And we'll continue in our series through Judges this morning. Uh, last week, Brother TJ, our youth pastor, did a fantastic job uh, preaching, of course, uh, on our God and Country Day. I'm thankful for that. And then, of course, last Sunday night, we got to go to the park, and there were several hundred of us there, just enjoying uh, the fellowship and uh, food and uh, the, the games there. And then, of course, right back uh, here this morning, we'll continue our series. Really, it was a break. Last week, we finished the Judges. And these last five chapters will really be more of the day-to-day life that we give some examples here, Samuel does, for us to uh, see kind of how what was happening and how life was uh, during Judges and how they got in the spots they did. And so if you found that this morning, if you could stand to your feet, if you're physically able to, uh, for the reading of God's Word and give you an opportunity to stretch before the message, we'll start in verse 1, and uh, we'll read a couple verses here. And there was a man of Mount Ephraim, whose name was Micah. And he said unto his mother, The eleven hundred shekels of silver that were taken from thee, about which thou cursed, and spakest of also in mine ears, behold, the silver is with me. I took it. And his mother said, Blessed be thou of the Lord my son. And when he had restored the eleven hundred shekels of silver to his mother, his mother said, I had wholly dedicated this silver unto the Lord for my hand for my son to make a graven image and a molten image. Now therefore I will restore it unto thee. Yet he restored the money unto his mother, and his mother took two hundred shekels of silver and gave them to the founder who made thereof a graven image and a molten image, and they were in the house of Micah. And let's pray, and then you may be seated. Lord, we sure do love you. Uh, thank you so much for loving us. You certainly are a great God. Lord, we come to you this morning realizing that we are nothing and you are everything and we need you. That's why we're here. We want to worship you. We want to please you. We want to learn about you. And so may you help that happen today. May your word be preached, or not as I would have it done, but as you would have it done. And may you flow through me. I need your power. I need your anointing. I need your help. I'll be with those who are here in person and those online who are listening. And may you open up their hearts. May you comfort them, may you encourage them, may you help them. Be with those who are out of town, maybe, or sick, or maybe at work today. I pray that they'll hear from you, Lord, as well. Be with our nursery, our children, our teenagers, and Lord, all that you have for us today. May we glorify you. May we see something happen in our lives. May you do a work here, as you have all these 39 years, Lord, soon to be soon. We sure do love you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Uh, there was a man who was garage shell shopping, and uh, he went to the garage shell, particular one, and he saw a pile of Levi's jeans, and that's the brand he likes. So he went there and started looking through them, and he saw size 30, size 31, and size 32. And as normal the case, at least for me, they never have your size. And he needed a size 33, and so he went up to the man, and he says, hey, you have any size 33s here? I've seen 30, 31, and 32. And the man says, oh, I'm still wearing the 33s. Come back next year. (laughs) And, you know, we see this morning a man who, uh, you know, kind of wanted something but didn't necessarily want to do what was the proper channels and way. And so he kind of decided to make his own way happen and not go the right way. It reminds me of two men who were walking their dogs in the morning. And they ended up intersecting with each other, and one had a German Shepherd, the one had a Chihuahua, and, and they were talking. And the one says, you know, 
let's go get something to eat. And the man says, no, no, they won't allow our dogs in that restaurant, so we won't go there. And he says, I'll just follow my lead. And so he goes in with his a German shepherd, and the host says, oh, we don't allow dogs in here. He says, well, uh, um, this is my, this is my, I'm blind, and this is my guide dog. And the, the host says, oh, I'm so sorry, and goes and seats him. And the friend watched it go on. He thought, wow, that's amazing. So he waited about five minutes. He goes, I'm going to try the same thing. So he went in there, and the host says, no, 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 no. We don't allow dogs in here. He says, well, I'm blind, and this is my guide dog. And the, wait, the hostess said, ha, man, I'm so sorry. And, and uh, uh, I waited, and he went in there, and, and the host says, I just, I just can't believe that, that they gave you a chihuahua to be your guide, guide dog. And the man says, oh, he said, a chihuahua, is that what they gave me? And, you know, sometimes... Uh, we try to change things. We try to maneuver things. We try to make things fit what we want because it meets what we need or what we want. And Micah did this today. We're going to see it. He tried to remake worship, remake God to be exactly what he would want instead of who God really was and what his word said. And the first 16 chapters of Judges shows us 300 years of history, and we looked through them all. We started with Othniel, and we ended up with Samson. Of course, the last judge is Samuel, who's writing. Many people believe he wrote Judges, and he wrote the book of Ruth, and then First and Second Samuel. The, uh, and it's a bridge between Judges and the monarch of Israel. Of course, the first king was Saul. And part one is the introduction of idolatry, which is chapter 17 and 18. We'll look at chapter 17 today. Part two is the civil war between 19 and 21. And, of course, with the Benjaminites, you remember, with Gideon and with Jephthah there. And then part three is Ruth 1, verse, chapters 1 through 4. And, of course, Ruth is tied into Judges, so we'll actually go into Ruth next when we finish Judges because it just builds upon each other. But the difference between Ruth and Judges is that Ruth gives a remedy for sin, and that remedy is the Messianic line. And, of course, that's through Ruth... And Boaz, and we know the lineage of Jesus goes through them. But today, let's look at the first part. Israel's introduction to idolatry. How in the world did idolatry make its way in? We talked a little bit about that through the last few months of Judges. Let's look more as a practical story of how this happens. Number one, if you're writing this morning, we see the entrance of Israel's idolatry. The entrance of of Israel's idolatry. The Bible says in verse 1, and there was a man of Mount Ephraim whose name was Micah. And so we know this man is in Mount Ephraim. We know his name is Micah. The word Micah literally means one who is like the Lord. One who is like the Lord. The ironic thing is Micah is nothing like that. Micah actually is the one who, who makes an idolatrous shrine to resemble God. He's not likened to the Lord. He wants to become kind of like the Lord. And so we see he lives during the time of Judges 1, verse 34, most people believe. And the Amorites forced the children of Dan into the mountain. And that's how Micah got there. And Dan was kind of a land without a place because they would not destroy uh, the Amorites. And the Amorites were not that hard to destroy, really, than any other people. They just wanted it worse than the tribe of Dan. And the Dan did not Trust in the Lord. And the Bible says in verse number two, this man who was named like unto the Lord, of course he wasn't, 
We find out that he was not a very good man, but he wasn't necessarily evil. And here's why. Verse 2. And he said unto his mother, The eleven hundred shekels of silver that were taken from thee, about which thou cursest, and spakest of also in mine ears, behold, the silver is with me. And so what happens here is a young man who finds out his mother is quite wealthy. She has 1,100 pieces of silver. And in verse number 10, you can see that 10 pieces of silver, listen up here, 10 pieces of silver, if you will, is enough for one year of wage. So when you do 10 divided by 1,100, that's like a fortune. That's like 750000 to a million dollars in nowadays. And so here he is, he takes this money from his mom. She curses the person who took it. Of course, she has no idea it's her son. And, uh, and so he, he steals this from his mom. And he steals the silver, but it, he, he isn't necessarily evil because he gives it back. And why does he give it back? Well, before we get into that, we see the character of Micah. We see the general spiritual state of Israel. And that uh, reminds me of a, a septic service company truck that was going down the highway. And someone was tailing it behind it, and it said there, Satisfaction guaranteed, their tagline was, or your merchandise cheerfully refunded. You know. <laughs> and uh, we see here, uh, uh, Micah was, was, was just not a very good, very good man here. And uh, we see two reasons why. We see... He had no true repentance. Look at verse number, the next verse there, about which thou cursest, the Bible says. Now, why was he cursed? Well, the mom in her mind could curse because of Leviticus 5.1. And if a soul sin, by the way, not curse like a swear word, uh, pronounce a curse on someone, okay? Let me, uh, Pastor Justin said in Leviticus 5.1, I can swear, okay? That's not what I'm saying today, okay? The Bible says, and if a soul sin and hear the voice of swearing and is a witness, whether he hath seen or known of it, if he doth not utter it, then he shall bear his iniquity. Okay, so we see this man is, is getting cursed by the mom. And uh, you could pronounce his curse if someone had taken something from you. But God had to be in this. And God definitely wasn't in this. And we see this superstition, this ignorance, if you will. And we see a young man who has no repentance. He gives the money back simply because he doesn't want this curse to come true. Not because he was wrong, not because he, he was convicted by it, because he, was wrong. He, he, he gave the money back to her so he wouldn't get in trouble. By the way, oftentimes we repent simply because we are afraid of getting caught. But may we repent because we displease the Lord and we want to get it right. So we see no true repentance, but we also see no true restoration. Uh, the Bible says Mike, the Micah's mother reverses the curse. And she says, hey, whoa, whoa, instead of cursing you, blessed be you. And I don't know about you, but if I found out my son, not that he can do this because Pastor Justin doesn't have $750,000 sitting around, but if I found out he took 1,200 pieces of silver, I would not say, oh, blessed you, son. In fact, just go ahead and take it. Oh, you know, wait a minute here. What are you doing? But she blesses him and she's very forgiving. But she does not ask for real repentance and she does not ask for restoration. And without going through that painful process, there's no way for Micah to truly be changed, if you will. In fact, as we'll see later, his mother is actually enabling him and empowering him eventually. And there needs to be that humbling acceptance. 
of the need for grace and change. Second Chronicles 7.14, of course, we know this verse. If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will hear the land. And so we see there needs to be repentance. There needs to be restoration. Years ago, there was a preacher named Howard Hendricks, a great author, a great teacher, and he tells the story of a young man who uh, had strayed from the Lord. But he was finally brought back because of a dear friend who wouldn't give up on him. And when he finally came back to Christ, if you will, and got back into church and got back going for the Lord, the pastor asked him, Dr. Howard Hendricks, he says, what was it like straying from the Lord? And the young man said, it seemed like I was out at sea. It seemed like I was drowning. I was in deep trouble and I had no hope. And he said, those who I knew uh, uh, were my friends, were just hurling biblical accusations about justice, penalty, and wrong. And he goes, I didn't need to hear it at that point. He goes, I was, I, was, I was drowning, if you will, my sin. But there was one Christian brother, he said, who actually swam out to me and would not let me go. He says, I fought him, but he fought me back. He pushed aside my fighting, grasped me, and he put a life preserver around me and took me to shore. He said, Dr. Hendricks, by the grace of God, he was the reason I was restored. He would not let go of me. And church, may we be a church that does not tolerate sin, but also doesn't constantly accuse people of sin. May we speak the truth in love. May we be willing to love people back to Jesus. I'm not saying we've got to stoop to their level. I'm saying we've got to compromise. But may we be someone who truly helps people get restored and people learn repentance and push them to Jesus Christ. A condemning and punishing parent hurts a child, but so does an excusing one. What I mean by that is you can be too harsh, but you can also be too soft. And parents, this is a line I constantly pray for God to give me wisdom on. How to be balanced as a parent. How to stand strong for truth. How to stand strong for conviction and how to discipline when needed. But also how to praise and love. How to encourage as well. We see Micah's mom was too soft. She was too excusing. And because of that, it allowed idolatry to enter in in her midst and through her son. And so that entrance turned into enabling. enabling. So if you look at verse 3, The Bible says there, and of course if you're writing, number two is the enabling of Israel's idolatry. And when he had restored the 1,100 shekels of silver to his mother, his mother said, I had wholly dedicated the silver unto the Lord from my hand for my son to make a graven image and a molten image. Now therefore I will restore it unto thee. And so how does she enable idolatry? Well, we see through the mom's blatant disregard. The Bible says, I had wholly dedicated the silver unto the Lord. Well, that's not a bad thing. By the way, if you want to wholly dedicate your inheritance to the Lord's God's house, we'll never say no. You know. If you want to give 1,100 pieces of silver, that's okay. But what is, why did she want to do it? To make a graven image and a molten image. She was basically buying her God. She said all the right things, but she wanted a certain image of God that she could portray. 
Many believe this was an image of God, which violated the second commandment. Exodus 20, verse 4, in your handout there, the Bible says, Thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image, or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above, or that is in the earth beneath, or that is in the water under the earth. Thou shalt not bow down thyself to them, nor serve them. For I, the Lord, thy God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children unto the third and fourth generation. So what does she do? She does exactly opposite of what God wants her to do. She's doing things backwards. She's trying to fix things, but not really fixing it. It reminds me about the man who went to the drugstore. His lower back was just killing him, and he just needed some relief. And so he goes there, and he found exactly what he needed. It was a selection of heating pads specifically designed for people with back pain. The only problem, he said, they're on the bottom shelf. (laughs) And oftentimes... In our Christian life, we get things backwards. We want God to fit what we want, when in all reality, God wants us to fit what he wants. We see the blatant disregard, but also we see the mother here, belittled dishonesty. The Bible says in verse 4, Yet he restored the money unto his mother, and his mother took 200 shekels of silver and gave them to the founder. So what happens here? He gives the money back, and of course the mom knows that Leviticus 6.5 says, Or all that about which he has sworn falsely shall even restore it, and the principal shall add the fifth part thereto. So what happened was when you stole something, you had to pay a 20% fee, if you will, as punishment. That would maybe help thievery in our country today, would it not? And uh, so the mom, instead of gives uh, 1,100 pieces of silver holy to the Lord, she actually takes this 200 pieces of silver that her son gave her because of his penalty for stealing, and instead gives that to the Lord. Oh, wow, what a great trade, you know. In other words, she gives lip service to the Lord. She calls on Yahweh to bless her son, but she disobeys God's explicit instructions. We would say it this way. She talks a good talk, but does not walk a good walk. My dear friend, isn't that easy to do as Christians? I know, I've done that. You say one thing, and then the Holy Spirit convicts you, and it's like, mm, I don't know about that, you know. Well, we should be kind to our neighbor, but not let him in when they should have been merging 20 car lengths ago, you know. I mean, they should have been planning ahead for this. Now, you better let me in, but I'm not going to let you in. Isn't it interesting how the Holy Spirit can convict us of things, and we, we say one thing, but we do another. Reminds me, of a preacher one time, he was shopping in a department store. And he, he was looking for a salesperson so he could pay for his purchase. No, one, no, no register was open. So finally, he ran into a woman wearing the store's ID tag. Excuse me, the preacher said. I am trying to locate a cashier. Uh, the, the lady said, I can't help you, she briskly replied, barely slowing down. I work in customer service, <laughs> you know. And how many times... Does that happen in our Christian walk? We're too busy to do what the Holy Spirit convicts us to do. We're too busy to witness. We're too busy to stop and help someone. And I've been there. Perhaps you've been there. And Micah's mother here is saying one thing, but doing the direct opposite. And Jesus, of course, gets on the scribes and Pharisees, does he not? We join that bandwagon. Yeah, get him, Jesus. Matthew 23, 2. Saying, the scribes and Pharisees sit in Moses' seat, all therefore whatsoever they bid you observe, that observe and do. But do not ye after their works, the Bible says. 
for they say and do not. Have you been there before? My children often ask for me to do things with them. And, you know, maybe, potentially, hopefully, we'll see. They never like those answers. They want a yes or a yes, you know. But how oftentimes do we say one thing and do another? And Micah here and his mother are struggling with this thing. They want God to be what they want him to be. They want his worship and his laws to be what they want him to be. We must never fit in that category, right? First John 2, 6. He that saith he abideth in him ought himself also so to walk, even as he walked. We should be pattering the life of Christ. Uh, yesterday I was doing some computer work, trying to finalize the sermon and some of the stuff I'll be doing for VBS next week. And I was working diligently and I got up, I was ready to be done. And Jackson comes out, our four-year-old, the one who was standing right here. And he had his little Paw Patrol laptop. He said, Daddy, I'm going to work with you. I said, okay, let's go. I said, you got any more to do? I said, sure, I'll find something. I'm thinking I'll find something to do. So we sit down again and I hear him, beep, 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 beep. Paw Patrol, we're on a roll. Harry Ryder needs us. And I'm like, okay, here we go. So, you know, point number four. Ryder needs us. You know, here we go. Oh, wait, wait, no, we're not doing that. But, you know, what I found is a young boy who wanted to do what his daddy was doing. And the Lord kind of convicted me. What kind of walk are you presenting for your son? You sure talk a great talk. It's like, Lord, you're not supposed to be convicting me right now. I'm supposed to be convicting people tomorrow, you know. But I just want to encourage us. What kind of pattern are we laying out for those who are following us? And so we see this woman, of course, uh, allowed the idolatry to enter by not taking a stand and actually telling her son, no, you're wrong, let's fix this. She enabled it by, by allowing him uh, to not repent, not be restored. And then we see, last of all, uh, we see the emboldening of Israel's idolatry. So not only was the mom allowing it, now Micah takes it to a whole other level. Isn't that a sad thing when that happens in our life? Uh, we kind of let something go, and then we kind of don't deal with it, and it kind of just grows, and, and then eventually ends up becoming our worst enemy. And that's what happens here. The Bible says, Who made thereof a graven image, and a molten image, and they were in the house of Micah. So we see the emboldening was through an image of God. The Bible says there, Who made therefore uh, thereof a graven image and a molten image. A mesica is a word there, and it signifies a cast, something poured, something restricted, like in the case of Aaron or Jeroboam, where they made, remember they made that golden calf? And that was a symbol. They wanted to portray what God really looked like. By the way, hasn't that been the case of struggle all through the years? We can't see God. We can't feel God. We, we just want a picture of him. And that's what happens here. Deuteronomy 9.12, we are told not to do this. And the Lord said unto me, Arise, get thee down quickly from hence. For thy people which thou hast brought forth out of Egypt have corrupted themselves. They are quickly turned aside. Why? Because they have made them a molten image. When we try to personify what God looks like, we distort him and make it fit what we want it to fit. And God says, oh no, <laughs> that's not happening. That's, what, that's not how it goes. I will tell you what to do. You don't need to fit me into what 
makes sense for you. Uh, By his fallen nature, man wants to make God into his own image. Many religious people carve their own concept of God and assume that this is the God of the Bible. We all know if we have a deep relationship with God, it takes time and effort to build that relationship with him, does it not? It's those mornings we get up and say, oh, we don't feel like it. But no, we take the time because of the spiritual discipline we put in our life because we need to spend time with God. We have got to. And every time I have not felt like spending time with God, but yet I do it anyways, I always walk away so thankful that I took the time to do it. But yet oftentimes in our life, if we're not careful, we try to put God into the box that we have for him where God's trying to put us in the mold that he has for us. So this woman's silver was, became her god. It was made into a grave in her molten image. And Micah and his mother agreed to turn to the money, if you will, instead of what God wanted to do. Thus, they set up idol worship in their family. And so we see uh, through an image of God, but we see also through an imitation of the house of God. The Bible says in verse 5, And the man Micah had a house of gods and made an ephod and a teraphim and consecrated one of his sons who became his priest. So not only did they want a picture of God, and they also wanted to, under, to, to control and manufacture the worship of God. See, see we're going to make God look like we want him to. This beautiful and art image. It could have been a calf. We don't know exactly what it was. But not only are we satisfied with making God what we want him to be, we also want to be in control of the worship of God, the convenience of it, and how we want it to be portrayed. And so what did he do? He builds a shrine. This is an altar where Micah could pray and offer sacrifices. He then designs an ephod. Do you remember a couple of months ago when we talked about Gideon, that golden ephod, which ended up becoming, uh, first of all, he wasn't supposed to be wearing it because he wasn't the priest, but second of all, it became a distraction to the people. And Gideon was trying to move the temple of God to where he wanted it to be so then he could control more power in the land. But that's not where the Ark of the Covenant was. That wasn't Shiloh where it was supposed to be. And so we see all these things happening because Gideon is trying to control and he goes from being a semi-good judge to becoming a, a, a judge that wasn't very good in the latter end because he tried to control God. He tried to make it what he wanted. He wanted to be convenient. And then we see he builds a teraphim. These are household gods, little figurines cast out of metal. These are first mentioned in Genesis when Rachel steals her father's images. Why would she steal her father's images? Well, we don't know if she was actually worshiping them, but because of they were of much value. They're very expensive. And so she took these things and Samuel condemned them. Josiah condemned them. Zechariah condemned them. Ezekiel condemned them. And every time around Scripture we see that people who have tried to replace God for what they wanted ends up becoming self-destructive. Calf worship, teraphim, consecrated stones. They had the high places, offering incense to the very thing that was supposed to heal them, the brazen serpent. What I'm getting at is simply this. Micah tried to get worship to be what he wanted it to be. He tried to get God to fit in his box and accommodate what he wanted. And God says, whoa, 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 that's backwards. It's not what I have for you. And then the last thing he did was install his son as a priest. By the way, God was very clear that only Levites could be the priest. Deuteronomy 18.1, the priests of the Levites and all the tribe of Levi shall have no part nor inheritance with Israel. They shall eat the offerings of the Lord made by fire in his inheritance. You say, well, maybe Micah didn't know this. Well, if you check out verse 13, 
He was excited when a Levite came by because then he could actually upgrade his priest from his son to an actual Levite. So he was all excited. So he knew clearly what he was doing wrong. He's trying to make church convenient as he wanted it to be. He was trying to make it what he wanted it to be. He was trying to make God in the image he wanted it to be. It was all about what Micah said. So, Micah and his mother talked the talk. And if you talked to them, you thought, man, they're great. They love God. They love Jesus. They walk the walk. But they were doing everything the wrong way. In fact, number 1640 warned about this. To be a memorial unto the children of Israel that no stranger, which is not of the seed of Aaron, come near to offer incense before the Lord, that he be not as Korah and his company, as the Lord said to him by the hand of Moses. So Micah was clearly in the wrong. But hey, I'm getting by with it, so I'm going to keep on doing it. He did this all easily. And it wasn't hard to do this because he's bent toward idolatry. May I say, we're bent toward wrong because of our flesh. The Bible says, and my flesh dwelleth no good thing, Paul says. If we're not careful, if we don't keep the word of God as the forefront, if we don't keep a walk with God, if we don't let the Holy Spirit work in our life, we eventually start deteriorating. Why? Because we're naturally going to do that. We've got to keep that walk with God. Church is so important. Our time with God is so important to keep us on the right track. And so, Micah ends up becoming a man-originated and a man-centered religion. The purpose was to serve and please man, not his God. 